0: Um, at this time, the kids and youth are invited to go to classes. Um, kids, as you can see, will go up here through the door and up the ramp, and youth will go through the back with Pastor Bree and her team. Um, this morning, we're continuing our sermon series through the book of Luke, um, focusing on good news for the lost. And each week, we're defining uh, a new group of us who are, are indeed lost. This, this morning, our focus is on um, the judged, Good news for the judge. And what I find fascinating about this passage is that, you know, people often struggle with this idea of being judged right no one likes being judged in fact one um, commenter said this is probably the most known verse of people who don't actually follow Jesus right it's like doesn't the bible say something in there about judge not lest you be judged like everybody seems to know this verse And, and what's interesting about it is that we even who follow Jesus sometimes use that to say what mind your business right? Like, worry about you, like, I'm gonna worry about me, like, mind your business. But but the, the kind of question we want to ask this morning is, what is the heart of, of what Jesus is teaching in this passage? You know, because I think sometimes people say, judge not lest ye be judged, and we conflate what I think Jesus's message is with the message of our world, right? As Christians, we often have to do Both and, not either or, right? Our our world has this equation and this formula that says that, you know, we can't unconditionally love you if we don't approve everything about you, right? Like, and I know that's not true because if my children somehow grew up to be Philadelphia Eagles fans, I'm disowning all of them. I'll still love them, but I just won't own them, right? Like, I can unconditionally love them without accepting everything about them, right? Like, we know these things, except, like, we follow the world's formula. And we know Jesus isn't preaching unconditional love here because this is in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. And what's he doing in the Sermon on the Mount but telling us how to live, how to act, what to actually think, what to do. So this isn't Jesus, when Jesus says, judge not, lest ye be judged, it is not about I don't love you or I a mind my business, do my own thing, right? Like there's something more that's going on here, right? And, and so sometimes when we say this, we're like, well, Jesus doesn't condemn, how dare you condemn? Now we're getting closer maybe to what the passage is saying, but is that the heart of Jesus' teaching? Now I think a lot of commenters have struggled with this passage because they don't know where to place it. So depending on your Bible translation, so for example, uh, a translation is gaining lots of tractions. Uh, among Anabaptists is something called the Common English Bible. One of the reasons we like it is that it's easy to read. One of the reasons we like it is that the church is not just in America. Um, and there's it, it's, it's just, the translation is Common English, so it's literally like immigrants, for example, who come to different countries here in the West love this translation. And they tend to be, you know, like, use, like, I don't know how to say it, but like they do better pronouns, right? So instead of always saying a man, a man, a man, a man, they'll say a person, which is actually closer to Hebrew and Greek, right? So little things like that. But even the Common English Bible, when they look at this passage we're going to look at this morning, they kind of put it in the love your enemy section. And that kind of makes sense, but I don't think it gets to the heart of what Jesus is saying. It makes sense because as you remember from last week, in that love your enemies section, Jesus is saying what? I want you to agape your enemies, right? That's not just like try to love them. That's literally loving them the way God has loved you. Anyone you define as enemies, that's your job. That's your role. That's what Jesus expects of you, to love those people who God has placed in your life, who may be enemies, to love them the way God loves you. Furthermore, he adds on to it, right? In case you weren't sure what that looks like, he's like, in fact, I want you to work for their good. Not just good, but blameless good. I want you to do it without complaining, without, like, bad thoughts. I want you to do it to, like, literally work to elevate them. And if you didn't get it, he's like, in fact, when they curse you, I want you to bless them. In fact, when they serially sin against you, when they consistently mistreat you, you know what I want you to do? I want you to pray for them. So it makes sense that we would put "Judge not, lest you be judged" in that 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 p- passage, right? But I don't think that's where it should go. The NIV kind of moves it from the love uh, what, love your enemy section and puts it in its own section, which is a little closer, right? Now I think why the NIV does that is that they 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 want to end the love your enemy section with where I think it ends, and Jesus saying, "Be merciful as your Father is merciful." Be compassionate as your father is compassionate. Be loving as your father is loving, period. That's the end of that thought, right? So they do a good job by differentiating it, but I think it's incomplete because I think what Jesus starts teaching in verse 37 and this is just, I'll never write a Bible translation. For some reason, I snuck in there. I'm on this team that's uh, uh, editing uh, the Anabaptist Bible that's going to come out in a couple of years. I snuck in the back door, like literally, and I'm on that team. So we're trying to do it. So it's not my translation. But I actually think the better way to differentiate this section is to look at 37 to 45. Now, I don't know any translation that's done it this way, and that's fine. I get to preach this sermon, that's how I'm doing it. so that's what we're doing this morning, right? We're going to go 37 to 45, and I think as we go through the passage, you'll see a more full rendering of what Jesus is saying here by judge not, lest ye be judged. So let's get into the passage. If you have your Bibles, turn with me now to Luke chapter 6. I'll be reading verses 37 to 45. You know, if you want to feel better about yourself or make someone feel worse about themselves, you just tell them that this is the right way to read this passage, right? Let's go. Verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, as you, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they both not fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of, my, out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit people do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars a good person brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart and an evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of let's pray our father god we thank you so much this morning that we come before you knowing that you are a god who forgives us that though we fall short, though we miss the mark, though we sin against you, you forgive us. So, Father God, we thank you this morning for your forgiveness. Holy Spirit, we thank you that we can come before God, not on our own accord, because you have convicted us, because you have called us, because even now you're transforming us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray now this morning that you may fill us up with those things that last. Fill us up with those things of the kingdom. Fill us up with more of God's love and mercy, grace and compassion. And Lord Jesus our Christ, we thank you for what you reminded us that who you've set free is free indeed. Help us to walk in the freedom, not just from judgment, but our freedom to actually love. Help us to walk in the freedom. Not just from trying, but from actually living to grace, to bless, to show your compassion, grace, and mercy to our world. Lord, help us to be free as you are free. Help us to love as you have loved. Help us to be perfect as you are perfect. In your holy and precious name, amen. So one of the things about this passage, and I think the reason it resonates with so many people, isn't just because we don't like being judged. I think part of the reason it resonates with us is that a lot of times uh, we do what I like to call a reactive reading of Scripture. Now that's 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 we gotta um, we gotta break that down a little bit, right? Because not all of you might have tracked with that, right? It's good to have a reaction from Scripture. <laughs> Like that's normal, right? You read something, there's a reaction that makes sense. It's natural. It's your default. Sometimes you might not like the default, but it's good to have a reaction. What is the difference between a reaction and being reactive? Um, I think about it in in context of of, of listening, right? Uh, a reactive listener doesn't let you or he doesn't let you finish your thought. A reactive listener, while you're still making your point, they already got the point to refute you. A reactive listener doesn't hear anything you're saying because all they care about is what? What they have to say. And I think sometimes instead of reactively, uh, instead of reflectively listening to scripture, we reactive listen to scripture and we miss what's actually been said. Or we will parse out a little sentence and say that's the essence of the whole teaching. And so our focus becomes on judgment and judging when that's just the first part of what Jesus is saying here. When Jesus starts here, right, we have to let him finish the thought, which is why I think it has to go to verse 45 if we want the essence of what he's saying. I also think that Jesus has something that's a core component for all of us. As we interact, one of the things about Luke, one scholar says, one of the things I love about the book of Luke is the challenge is not just to to get right with God, it's to stay right with God. But then the second challenge is not just to get right with your brother and sister, but it's to stay right with your brother and sister. Luke is obsessed about not just Jesus is for the world, but that you can't follow God if you're not at peace with God. You can't follow God if you're not at peace with your sister and your brother. So he's going to curate this text to say, I'm always going to challenge your relationship with the people around you. Because if the people around you don't know that you love them, how can you say you love God? If the people around you don't live at peace with you, how can you say I'm going to bring peace to them or I'm going to tell them about the prince of peace? So Luke is going to be obsessed with the gospel is for everyone, but those who follow God, they must be transformed in their relationship with God, but their relationship with each other. So if we look at do not judge as just one semblance of this teaching, how can we break it down? I'm glad you asked. I was hungry as I wrote this, so you'll see. The first way we need to break this down is I need to, we need to think about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, the old classic. Now for those of you who are allergic to peanut butter, I don't know what to do. I'm trying my best, right? I, I promise I'll stop talking about meat, but I just did, so it's OK, right? Peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? I think that in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at the base level, for, for those of you, you know not connoisseurs like me, but on a base level, you need three things, right? You need the bread, you need the peanut butter, you need the jelly. Right? So I think one of the breakdowns of this passage is to understand that do not judge lest you be judged It's just one of the three components of this passage. So the very first thing is that the peanut butter is the, you know, do not judge lest you be judged. That's key because that is kind of the star of the show, I think, right? Some people think it's the jelly, but if it's the jelly, you would just have a jelly sandwich. Right. Like to me, the base, the foundation is the peanut butter. And there's the other thing you can find all kinds of jellies. If you have bad peanut butter, it's a bad sandwich. Right. So for me, anyway, the base of the sandwich is the, the, the peanut butter. Right. And so the base of Jesus teaching here is judge not, lest ye be judged. Paul picks up on this in his letter to the Corinthians, and he says it like this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. What Jesus is saying here isn't as much about judgment as it's simply about we will reap what we sow. How we think about others might just be how God thinks about us. How we treat others might just be how God treats us. How we love or don't love others might just be how God loves or doesn't love us. And that's tricky because we want to be like, well, God loves everyone until you read the gospels. Right. Again, this isn't about unconditional love or unconditional approval. This is God simply saying you will reap what you sow. So as you think about your sister and brother, as you think about judging that other person, know that you will reap what you sow. How you judge might just be how you will be judged. That's the foundation of this teaching. And then the jelly, the supplement you know, the, 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 the kind of accentuation of the peanut butter comes, right? To add on to this foundation, he says, condemn not, lest ye be condemned. So if the first is a reminder, you will reap what you sow when it comes to judgment. The second is a warning. That first of all, you have no authority here to judge somebody, to condemn somebody. You have no authority. And everybody listening to the verse of Jesus would have sang this at synagogue school. I don't know if that's a thing, but we're gonna call it that. We're gonna sing it at a synagogue school. They would have been taught this by their grandparents, they would have been taught this by their parents. God is the only one who has authority. In fact, Isaiah puts it like this. For the Lord Yahweh is our judge. The Lord Yahweh is our lawgiver. The Lord Yahweh is the king. It is he who will save us. Only God can judge. That's true. But it's added to this idea that we reap what we sow when we think and we judge others. We have no authority to even judge others. But what is the foundation? If the peanut butter is the judge not, if the jelly is condemned, not, what brings it all together? It's the bread. You ever have really good peanut butter and really good jelly, but you bought that dollar store bread? It pains your heart, doesn't it? Right? Like you put the, the peanut butter on the knife and you're trying to smear, it and the bread rips in half, right? This is just my childhood, right? Like it's just like it's painful, right? It doesn't matter how good the peanut butter is, you're like, what have we had here? Like, like my kids sometimes just give up, they just start eating the peanut butter with a spoon, you know? It's just like, I don't know, dad went shopping again, not good, right? the bread, (laughs) or or what ties it all together and completes the sandwich, is Jesus' invitation here for us to forgive. Judge not, lest ye be judged, foundation. Do not condemn, or you will be condemned, right? Uh, A supplementary. But what pieces and holds it all together is forgive, and you will be forgiven. That seems to be conditional. And if you don't believe Luke, Matthew says it like this. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, quoting Jesus, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. We tend to think that God is good, God is great, God's amazing. All that's true. But we also tend to think that God's forgiveness is automatic. But according to Jesus, who's God in the full representation of God, if you don't forgive others... He doesn't say God might not forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. This passage isn't just about don't judge other people. This passage is everything you reap, you will sow. (laughs) What you think about someone, God's going to think that about you. What you do to someone, God's going to do that to you. If you don't forgive, God will not forgive you. There's no way to mince words about this. Our forgiveness, according to Jesus, seems to be dependent on whether or not we forgive. That should terrify us. Because most of us don't want to forgive, don't like to forgive. But the words of Jesus in Matthew 6 should terrify you. Because it's not about whether you want to forgive, it's you ought to be forgiven. Why? Because you are forgiven. And so Jesus is building this teaching here. Judge not lest you be judged because you're going to reap everything you sow. Don't condemn people around you because you don't even have the authority to do it. Forgive because you've been forgiven. Forgive because if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. That's the other side of that teaching. Be merciful, be compassionate, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. And then he comes building on, right? So at first I was just like, this is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's easy. There's just three of them. But when you get to this next session, you realize that this ain't peanut butter and jelly Jesus is making. Jesus is making a taco. <laughs> What's the joy of a taco? It's more than three ingredients. I don't care what taco you're making. If it's only three ingredients, it's lacking. Right? You might have your your, your hard shell or your soft shell. Some prefer, who are more cultured prefer the hard shell. Um, you might have your beef or your chicken or your chorizo, whatever you want to put in there. And then you need, like, some people do lettuce. But like if it stops there, you're missing stuff, right? There's salsa. There's cheese. Some of y'all do sour cream, which it just doesn't sound appealing to me. Like, here's some delicious sour cream. Like, what? Like, I never translated that as a Liberian. They're like, sour cream? I'm like, no. We do not eat the cream that's sour. It's like, it's just like, we eat the, we eat the cream that's iced. You know, I like the ice cream, but not the sour cream. But anyway, that's me. Jesus is building a taco here, which means that to this teaching, there's gonna be even more ingredients, right? And what are some of the ingredients he continues with? Give and it will be given to you. What a beautiful reminder here that we are grace to grace. What a beautiful reminder here that we cannot possibly outgive our God. You cannot outforgive God. You cannot outlove God. You cannot outcompassion God. But if you don't love grace and show compassion, you don't look like your God. See how that fits together? Give, right? And it will be given to you. And then he gets a good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, we pour it into your lap. There's two things that Jesus is doing. Remember, this is a very agrarian culture. And so one of the things in agrarian culture is you grow grain, right? And I remember this as a kid in Liberia because we eat rice all the time, right? When you were getting rice and you were buying at the market, if you can get the big old bag of 100-pound rice, and that's how we did, 100-pound rice. Like, that's what we did. We ate rice every day. You need at least 100 pounds, maybe four of them, right? But if you were just buying a cup of rice, which some of us had to do when we were in a refugee camp, right? You wouldn't just, like, put the rice into the bag and scoop, right? Like, because you scoop, some might fall out. So what you would do? You would shake it to level it out. You press it down to get more air in there, right? And you would try to put more and more and more. That's what Jesus is talking about here. But he's talking about it in light of God's blessing. Not only can you not outgive God, but God is gonna bless you so that it's poured in, it's pressed down, it's shaken, it's leveled, and more and more so that it overflows. Even more pressing to the ancients is that some of the men, especially, would wear these robes, right? And the robes would have, it's funny, because this, this did not translate initially, right? The first thing is that the translators it would be like, they wore a girdle. I'm like, I don't think that's what you meant. I don't think that's what you meant, right? Some of you did not have grandmothers, obviously, right? Like, but the girdle they talked about was actually a pouch that went in the front. And he literally wrapped around your bosom, and it was like this pouch that you carry around you to store stuff in it, right? So he's saying, okay, if you go to the market, I'm going to give you grain that overflows, right? Or if you're just walking around. If you're just walking around, I'm going to pour so much grace and love and compassion into your heart that it will overflow. David said, my cup overflows. Jesus says, no, no, forget the cup at the market. Your entire life is going to overflow. Walking around, you're going to overflow with my blessings. That's what Jesus Jesus meant you can't outgive God you can't out compassion out love out mercy God it will not only be given to you it will out full overflow I was gonna say outflow but that works too it's gonna overflow from you and then he ends with this for with the measure you use it will be measured to you so the overflow here is a warning in the sense of it it's You know, if you give someone three days warning, it's like advance notice, right? Like you bless and you give and you grace, it's going to overflow. But then he ends with this invitation. And the invitation here is, again, not just you'll reap what you sow, but whatever measure you use, that's what will be used on you. The ancients believed that, that, and I think we struggle with this too, right? A.W. Tozer helped me with this, right? Because I don't have to compartmentalize God. God isn't 90% love and like a combined 10% everything else, right? God is 100% love, 100% mercy, 100% justice, 100% grace. He's all things, right? 100%. But the ancients believed, like we tend to believe, that God would either choose justice or mercy for you, right? He had two measures, right? Either justice or, 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 or mercy. And if you read the Old Testament, you're like, oh, yeah, I get this. This is why they thought this way, justice or mercy. But what Jesus ends here is not arguing with the, what they think about God and their conceptualization of God. Jesus says, listen, if you choose the God of justice and that's how you move around, you want justice, then that's who God will be with you. But if you choose the God of mercy, the God of love, the God of grace, the God of compassion, then that's who God will be with you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then in case for the the, the 90 of us out of 100 who didn't get it, he's going to be like, let me try to teach you some other ways that we do this. And he starts off with these parables. And the thing we love about parables is that he's going to start in a place where everyone understands and then builds it, right? And he says, wait, can the blind lead the blind? And hopefully everyone in class passes this test, right? Can the blind lead the blind? No, yes, we got one, right? I was going to say Jesus because that's the default answer, but no works this time, right? So he starts off with a thing that everyone would understand. The blind can't lead the blind. Why? They end up in the pit. So the question for us becomes is who is the blind here? I'd offer, and I would venture to say, is those of us who are judgy and not gracious. Is those of us who are condemning and not loving. Is those of us who are unforgiving and not showing mercy. And if we live that way, we are not just walking into the pit of blindness. We're leading those people who need our love who need our mercy, who need our forgiveness, we're leading them into the pit too because the way of the blind is life in the pit. That's where we end up. And then if we didn't get it again, he says, okay, how about this? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like the teacher. The, the, the closest I've seen to this is in ancient Japanese culture, you have the sensei, right? It's like the... Japanese version of the rabbi, right? You will never be greater than your sensei, just like you will never be greater than your rabbi. They understood that, right? We tend to think we will be like Jesus, but like, well, yes, I'm just like Jesus. No, you are not. You are not yet, right? And and so this idea of student-teacher, Jesus was saying, it's like, listen, you could think this is all about following the law and doing everything right, but you will never understand if you don't understand me as your God, me as your sensei, me as your rabbi, me as your teacher, And that's the thing about all this teaching. We are students of Jesus. We are training to be like Jesus. And what Jesus is inviting us to do here is to act like Jesus because how do you become more and more like Jesus? It's great the Holy Spirit is inside us and transforming us, but it's not an automatic thing. There's work that the Spirit is doing, but there's also work you have to do. The Spirit is only going to work with you if you're willing if you're putting the effort in. If you want to be like Jesus, here's the, this is a $100 million answer, right? You want to be like Jesus, guess what the answer is? Be like Jesus. That's it. We might not be greater than Jesus, but if we're truly trained by the Holy Spirit and discipled in the community and loved by God our Father, we become more and more like Jesus. Because the thing is, students make good teachers. You know who make horrible teachers? Hypocrites. There's a reason no one likes hypocrites. One of my favorite things was a couple weeks ago. Um I watched a lot of college football. And, and there's a guy named Deion Sanders who's just making everyone angry about everything. And I personally love it. Like I'm like an inner troll myself, so I just love it. I love that he's not following their rules. I love that he's loud, right? And so one of my favorite things was there's another coach who was just like, I, he he literally invited cameras into his locker room for his pregame speech and he was just like we are not doing any of this for the clicks like like them other team over there and i'm like sir you literally invited espn into your locker room <laughs> like like what clicks aren't you doing it for like you're doing exactly for the clicks like literally like if you weren't doing it for the clicks you would close your door and we're not doing it for the clicks like like no one likes hypocrites And the hard part for us as Christians is when we don't look like our Jesus, we're hypocrites trying to be teachers. We're hypocrites trying to be teachers. And and yes, it's easier for us to look out than to look in. And I was was this week years old. Like this week I found out that this Plank Eye thing was meant to be a joke. Like, I grew up in it like such a setting that you took this seriously. You take the plank out of your eye before you get, get that smack. Like, Jesus is saying a joke. He's being humorous. He's using figurative, right, like language, right? Jesus obviously didn't physically mean you got a plank in your eye, right? I didn't get that as a kid. I was like, yeah, you know, I got to get, get it out, you know? But what he's saying, what he's saying is, I know it's easier for you to look out and see how everyone else falls short. But before you worry about them, let's do the work on you first. And the irony of this is Jesus isn't saying, don't go help out your sister and brother. A lot of people read this plank I think they'll be like, well, yeah, I guess work on myself, you just worry about you, right? Like, you do. That's not what he's saying. He's saying they still need help, but you can't help if you can't see. You can't help if you're blind and in the pit. You can't help if you're just being a hypocrite. Get the plank out of your eye and then go and help. We can't see if we stay blind. It sounds obvious, right? But that's what he's saying. And then he closes with what's maybe my favorite parable of Jesus. Um, I preached on this over 10 years ago here. And and the reason I love this so much is that I think you could sum up all of Jesus' teaching In this passage, I think you sum up the Sermon on the Mount in this passage. Verses 43 to 45, and I love it because anyone can understand it. I've taught this to Ph.D. level students, and I've taught this to five-year-olds, and they all get it. Why? Because Jesus is brilliant. Shocking, I know. (laughs) He starts off with simply this, right? No good tree bears bad fruit. The, the, The Greek actually says no good tree bears diseased fruit. Because if it's bearing diseased fruit, all of us would say what? It's a bad tree right? And, 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 and Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. And so the, the simplest breakdown of this is all of us, there's no in-between. When it comes to following God, we're either bearing good fruit or we're bearing diseased fruit. There's no, I'm trying to bear good fruit. Or when I'm done with my disease fruit, I'm going to now become, no. According to Jesus, you're either bearing good fruit or a diseased fruit. And he builds on that. Like the ancients, like in in Jesus' day and age, they actually not only grew the the figs and, and the grapes together, they were not just cultivated together. They were cultivated together with the thorn bushes and with the briars, right? And Jesus is saying that, listen, I don't care what obstacles are in your way. I don't care what thorns are all around you. I don't care how hard it is. If you follow me and belong to me, your job is what? Bear good fruit. The thorns might be there, but guess what? My love is still greater. The briars might be there, but guess what? You can be free and bear that good fruit. Like, no one is, like, we're all responsible to bear good fruit. And then he ends, and this is why I love this passage. The word that he uses for heart here, a good man bring, a good person brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart. And I love this because it made me feel like a kid when I discovered this. The ancients believed the heart wasn't just the seat of your emotions, right? It wasn't just the essence of who you are. And we've, we've kind of talked about that before. But they believed the heart was like a treasure chest, right? And they believed that literally... Every good thing that you think about, remember I said Mary stored these things up in her heart, right? Like all good things that you think about, that you do, that you see, you just put it into the treasure chest and put it into the treasure chest and put it into the treasure chest. And just like that girdle, if you will, or that pocket in front of you will overflow, the good that you put into your heart, eventually the chest will be too full. It will pop open and it will flow out. That's why Jesus wants us to do good. Because the more good we do, the more we put into the treasure chest, the easier it is for good to flow out. But then the flip side of that is, if there's good that I'm putting into the treasure chest, that's what flows out. But if there's bad that I'm putting into the treasure chest, if there are things that don't belong to God in the treasure chest, if there are things that don't oh, lift up my sister and brother in the treasure chest, if there's diseased fruit in the treasure chest, that's going to flow out too because our mouth is only going to speak what our heart is full of. And that's challenging to me because a lot of us like to think that we think before we speak. And Jesus seems to be thinking that, like, you speak and it reveals your heart. So what are we actually storing up in our heart? What are we actually putting into the treasure chest? What are the good things that we're actually storing up? What's the love, the grace, the compassion that we're putting in? What I love about this passage is that for so many of us, we get stuck on don't judge, lest ye be judged, that we miss what Jesus is saying here. The first thing I think Jesus is saying is that we have a forgiving God. Praise God, God forgives us. But that means we must also forgive. We have a faithful God. Praise God that he's always faithful, good, and true. But that also means what? We must also be faithful to God. Praise God we have a fruitful God. All of us in this room are the fruit of the Holy Spirit, of God our Father, of Jesus himself, and of so many people, some who've gone on, some who are here, who've invested in us, to make us bear fruit. Praise God. He's a fruitful God. But that means we must also bear fruit. I think the last thing about this passage that we can pull out is yes, God is forgiving. Yes, God is faithful. Yes, God is fruitful. But my goodness gracious, who the sun sets free should be free indeed. There's so many of us who struggle with the weight of judgment for how we've been judged and for our tendency to judge. And it's a jail cell, it's a prison. We are shackled. That's not what life in Christ is supposed to look like. We have a freeing God. One of the things I love about forgiveness is that it frees you. The person who you forgive may never see the error of their ways, but you take a step closer to freedom every time you forgive. You break the chains, right? I've said this before, not forgiving is like drinking the poison and wondering why you're sick and they're okay. Stop drinking the poison. We have a forgiving God. Are we people who are willing to forgive? We have a faithful God. Are we people who are pledging to be faithful? We have a fruitful God. Are we bearing the good fruit? But sisters and brothers, we also have a freeing God. May we walk in the freedom that Jesus brings, not just away from judgment, but into the love of God. May it come into us, into our treasure chests, into our bosoms, into our pockets, and may it overflow into our world. Amen. This time I'd like to invite up Pastor Hannah. I think Titus will be kind of helping us with the music during communion. Um, every first Sunday in October, we stop and, and we hold on to World Communion Sunday. And World Communion Sunday is, we know every Sunday that churches around the world celebrate communion. But this is just a, an intentional reminder of what we're doing here doesn't just resonate in Harrisburg but it resonates with Christians around the world. So as we go through some of the liturgy, we'd like to invite you to check out the pictures as well. And we're going to have pictures from from different communities all around the world as they um, take in communion. Again, the next few moments, we're going to be sharing in communion together, celebrating this new life we have in Jesus. Here at Harrisburg, we do not require that you be a member of this church to take in communion. But we do think, according to scripture, you ought to be a follower of Jesus to take the communion. Hopefully, as you came in this morning, you're able to get the elements. If you did not, we have some deacons who are up, and they just raise your hand. They would love to bring those elements to you. As you receive them, we ask that you hold them until all have been served so we can partake together. Again, the table of the Lord is for all who believe, for all who have received Jesus Christ as Lord.
1: We now invite you to come to this table, not because we must, but because we may. We come to testify not that we are perfect, but that we sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. We come not because we are strong, but because we are weak. Not because we have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in our frailty we stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help.
0: We come not only to remember his death, but also his resurrection and promise to return.
1: Now that the supper of the Lord is now that the supper of the Lord is spread before us, let us lift up our minds and hearts above all selfish fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to us the witness of our grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit.
0: Please join us now um, as we partake in our responsive reading. This week we have taken it from Philippians chapter 2. Let us join together now from Philippians 2.
1: In our relationships with one another, we should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus.
0: He humbled himself became a servant. He humbled himself even to death on a cross.
1: Therefore, God exalted him to the highest. God gave him the name that is above all names.
0: At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every tongue should confess.
1: Jesus Christ is Lord.
0: One way way that we confess that Jesus is Lord is to share in the Lord's Supper. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning that we get a chance to stop and reflect and remember that this table we sit at is a table that's represented not just in Harrisburg, but all over our world. So we pause for a moment to just marvel at your saving grace, your grace that has reached places that we can't even imagine, your grace that has reached continents and countries and people groups. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that because of your body that's broken for us, we can now be free, we can now be healed, we can now be redeemed. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the conviction you've placed on our heart that brings us not just to salvation but also to this table now. And Father God, we thank you for your forgiving love, for your merciful compassion, for your grace. As we take this bread, though, we remember, Lord Jesus Christ, you were broken so that we can be healed. You were hurt so that we can be set free. You died so that we can live. We give thanks for your body that's broken for us. In your name we pray, amen. And now we have, yep. My sisters and brothers, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ?
1: This bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ.
0: Take and eat this bread, remembering he was born to be our savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your hearts and be thankful.
1: the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, which in the Jewish Passover feast is called the cup of blessing, and he told his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the blood that you shed on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, for the suffering and the anguish that we cannot even fathom. Lord, would we join in your suffering? Would we take up our cross? Would we even unto death um, join you in, Lord, an everlasting life and everlasting freedom that you've offered us um, because of your work on the cross? Lord, would your blood um, purify us, sanctify us, and recreate us, Lord, into... Um, new life, new beings, um, the ones that you've created us to be. And Lord, we'll thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's join in the reading um, of the cup. My sisters and brothers, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ?
0: This cup of blessing which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ.
1: Take this cup, remembering that he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it together and be thankful.
0: Um, at this time, I'd like to um, invite up the rest of the worship team, um, as well as we close with our final song. Also, any of the pastors in the room, i like to invite you up as well. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, maybe in response to something in the sermon or something else that you have going on in life or someone who's on your heart, we'd love to pray for you as well. Um, Let's stand and sing together.
2: Llena Señor, con tu preciosa unión. Purifica me, me, Señor. Con tu
0: I had a note for my benediction and I can't find it so we're going to freestyle everyone should be terrified. Um, I think it's the psychologists and sociologists that say that it takes you know a couple weeks before furniture becomes just like there. You just don't notice it anymore. Um, in January 2006 uh, one of the longtime members of our community created an art piece that's out there that's for a lot of us to become like furniture right. We maybe saw it and noticed it when we first came out but we just don't notice it anymore. Um, it used to have an artist statement with it. And I don't know where that is, but he sent it to us this week, and we're going to try to get it out there. But the piece I'm talking about is actually right behind the clock, right? It's this big piece, um, and it's four pieces. And one of the things that's interesting about this passage is he says that one of the thrusts of, of the creation of this passage was this this passage about judge not lest ye be judged. In fact, he took that and put it in 35 different languages. And, and so there's a lot of different things. One of the things I love about art is that it pulls stuff out of us, right, that we don't sometimes see. And I'm butchering a lot of stuff he told me, but I'm going to try to remember, right? But one of the things that he says is that a lot of times our judgment it is so inch deep right like it's, it's just it's it's, it's 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 flaky and it's black and white and our judgment comes from our desire to control and this judgment has led us even as Christians to do things like murder to do things like enslave, to do things like put ourselves first and, and when we look at who God is God's calling us and trying to move us from judgment to reconciliation and God's trying to move us from judgment to love. And God's trying to move us from this point of, of choosing ourselves to choosing one another. And, and in the passage, he has not just these 35 languages, but he says he has over 350 people because it's this reminder that the work of God that, that happens not just in this church, and I think there's four different quadrants that start off at like the floor plans of this church to Harrisburg City and even to the world, right? But the idea here is that the work that God begins in us, right? should extend not just in us and through us, but to our world as well. So I want to invite you, if you've not ever spent five minutes looking at that picture, to spend some time looking at it. And hopefully in the next month or so, we'll get that artist statement under. And you'll hear what Andy says about the piece way better than I said. But one thing I want us to be reminded reminder of is that in this passage where Jesus calls us, it is not just about us not judging. It is about us forgiving. It's about us being faithful. It's about us being fruitful. It's about us being free. And that's my prayer for all of us. Our Father, our God, we thank you so much that you are indeed the God who forgives. Lord, thank you for forgiving us. And we pray that as we walk and and not just bask in that forgiveness, but that we model you, our God. We model you, our Jesus. That because we've forgiven, we will be free to forgive too. God, we thank you that we are the products of so much faith the faith of those who've come before, the faith of those who poured into us, the faith of those who are around us now. Lord, all of us, we come before you with nothing but all you've given us. We come to you hoping and and working and striving, but Lord, help us to bear good fruit. Lord Jesus, our Christ, we pray this morning that we walk anew as we leave this place that we love free from the condemnation that we've spewed out or the condemnation that's been spewed out on us. We pray that we can leave the hypocrisy behind. We pray that we can leave the judgmentalness behind. Lord, may we be generous as you are generous. May we give as you give. May we grace as you grace. May we be perfect as you're perfect. May we be merciful as you're merciful. May we be loving as you're loving. Our God and our Father, fill us with your love. Holy Spirit, fill us with the compassion. And Lord Jesus, our Christ, fill us with light. And may that love, may that compassion, may that light flow out of us and into our world. In your holy and precious name, amen? God bless you all. Have a good week.